You've come far, Pilgrim. Actor Will Gear's character, Bear Claw Chris Lapp, says to the younger mountain man on the other side of their shared campfire. Feels like far, Jeremiah Johnson replies, the firelight dancing off of Robert Redford's tired but ageless eyes. As the motion picture of the same name tells it, Jeremiah Johnson is a man attempting to live his life amidst unpredictable forces of nature in a mountain wilderness. As if that were not ordeal enough, he's also caught between two conflicting cultures, one Native American, the other America's westward migration. He's lost family and home and confronts ceaseless attempts on his own life, the result of moral dilemmas less his own making than the overwhelming cross-cultural antagonism encompassing native Crow peoples and 19th century Anglo-American settlers intent on fulfilling the nation's manifest destiny to conquer the West. That brief campfire scene seems timelessly iconic, a two-line dialogue applicable to untold moments of human history, like now. Strange as it seems, we 21st century pilgrims have also come far. After an over-year-long existence in a COVID-haunted wilderness where our lives are endangered by the very breath of the very air we breathe, we've been homebound in a culture racked by manifest division, unable to agree on a shared sense of national identity, let alone destiny. COVID compelled us to own up to our times, to struggles, frustrations, and limitations that bubbled up unexpectedly at every turn. And even in our technologically distant virtual worship services. Reverend Glenn Pettiford, associate pastor of our church, First Baptist Church, uh, Highland Avenue, Winston-Salem, confronted that reality head-on in his weekly pre-recorded pastoral prayers, imprecatory petitions that cut to the spiritual chase. One Sunday, early in the quarantine, Reverend prayed, Lord, some of us have just lost our minds. Some of us don't believe we need to wear a mask. Some of, us some of us don't believe we need to social distance. Lord, some people have more faith in their handguns than they do in their own health practices. Lord, I'm not mad at my brothers and sisters. I'm just tired of this mess. But before he said amen, Reverend Pettiford prayed, 
Please, Lord, your children are dying. Lord, we're not giving up. We can't give up. You've been so good to us. We can't give up. We've got to keep going. Sunday after Sunday, Pettiford poured out his heart with spontaneous prayers of great grace and brutal honesty in the presence of the divine. Today, I say it like this. His prayers took the virtual out of quarantined worship. Like the psalmist, he told God who we are, where we are, and what we're dealing with. He took love, grace, and frustration to the throne of grace, as the old preachers used to say. (laughs) And since I'm an old preacher, I can say that too. So this morning, I want you to do something with me, to share this call and response. I'm going to say in a minute, you've come far, pilgrims. And I want all the people to say, feels like far, amen. Will you do that with me? You've come far, pilgrims. Now what? That question and others like it confront churches across the denominational, theological, geographical, and demographical spectrum. Are lessons learned during the pandemic applicable for a reformation? There goes my page. Uh, (laughs) Somebody wants that page, you can pick it up after church. I've been preaching here for years. I've never thrown a page down. My Lord. All right. Are the lessons learned during the pandemic applicable for a reformation of COVID-exhausted congregations in an increasingly post-churchly society? With all that in mind, we go running to Isaiah 58, a hope-filled challenge and prophetic admonition that would be coupled with Jesus' words in today's Markan text, become a gospel infrastructure worth pursuing with renewed determination. Isaiah tells us something of where we go from here, a calling to be repairers of the breach, the restorers of streets to live in. (laughs) Nothing big, mind you. Think of it. Those words written 2,500 years ago could be read on the steps of the post-January 6th U.S. Capitol building and have equal meaning. Resounding across the rocks, rills, and templed hills of America, the less than beautiful right now nation. This segment of Isaiah comes from the post exilic time when the Jews are returning from Babylonian captivity and exile. The temple is in ruins, along with the society they had been forced to abandon. Their home now 
compelled to learn how to be together, to put things back together. They have to recover the elements of faith that so many left behind. The people Isaiah describes in the text are religious practitioners, keeping religious rituals, specifically keeping the fast, denying themselves physically in order to draw near to God. As Isaiah tells it, many are frustrated, however, with the lack of results. So they ask of Yahweh, why do we humble ourselves but you do not notice? And God responds through Isaiah, look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, You fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. The Israelites want to know what God will do for them. God wants to know what they will do with each other, with their community. One biblical scholar comments, Israel complains that God has deprived them of justice. God responds by demanding Israel stop depriving those around them of justice and righteousness. Even though Israel has been attentive to the ritual ordinances of the law, they have completely neglected the ethical demands of it. The people believe they are the victims when in fact they are the victimizers. Sound at all familiar? For Isaiah, the fast that God chooses is based on this communal infrastructure to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? In Babylonian captivity, the returning Israelites knew well the bonds of injustice, the yoke of slavery and oppression. They knew hunger, homelessness, and deprivation. Yet restoration for them and for us is communal, incomplete until every yoke is broken and all the oppressed go free. They must work together to restore the society that is so terribly broken right in front of them. The results of such a spiritual infrastructure could not be clearer. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, 
Then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be like noonday to drive away personal and communal darkness and gloom. We must be willing to act as repairers of the breach and restorers of the streets. Those images represent profound details requiring tireless and exhausting action. Like Isaiah's generation, we've got a whole lot of breaching going on all around us, literally and figuratively. Literally, one of the iconic symbols of our national community, the capital, was literally breached on January 6th. From that event alone, we know the finger pointing and the speaking of evil. But COVID-related death, illness, and collected fear breached our communal safety nets as individuals, families, and communities. And so today's biblical text unites what becomes a gospel infrastructure with these quick following implications. COVID became a national death threat the first time since the infamous 1918 flu that an entire American population was endangered by a shared disease and death. Given the over half million fatalities, American churches may need to reform our approaches not only to death and dying, but to the resulting inconsolable grief, unabated fear, and chronic anger, inevitable habits of the heart with no, which no vaccine can cure. Will that require an enduring reparation of ministry to bereaving multitudes, I think. Next, post-COVID culture requires churches to look closely at our congregational bases. Who are they? What are their demographics, their physical and spiritual vulnerabilities, and diverse needs, especially those whose age, disabilities, and economic status place them at greater risk? What ministries may need repairing in order to better respond to those with specialized post-COVID needs? And one more. COVID exacerbated political and theological divisions already deeply ingrained in the American political and ecclesiastical psyche. Almost immediately, the disease itself became a dividing point with varying, often volatile, opinions as to the seriousness, the degree of contagion, and its treatments from the wearing of masks to vaccinations. Frankly, these ecclesiastical, theological fissures are so deep that reconciliation seems a long way off, if at all. But can we work with each other across ideology to break the yokes of injustice, hunger, homelessness, at least that? Which brings us now to Jesus and today's gospel text. 
gospel infrastructure doesn't happen overnight. It's like the farmer, the farmers who scatter seed on the ground, keep working, waiting, and finally the seed begins to spout and grow. But the text is wonderful here. But the farmers do not know how it works. I love that last line. In the gospel infrastructure, we confront injustice, oppression, hunger, homelessness. We confront the yoke in large movements and in small acts. And when we do something good, something gospel takes place. And for a moment, at least, we are restorers of the breach. We sow seeds of justice, compassion, and reconciliation, hoping they make a difference with the faith that they will, even when we do not know how it may happen. Jesus pushes the metaphor further. The kingdom of God, God's new day in the world, is like a tiny mustard seed But in time, perhaps a lifetime, it becomes the greatest of all shrubs, he says, with branches so strong and substantial. This is another great line. The birds of the air can make nests in its shade. The tiny seed provides a safe place. Right now, when so many people seem to be fleeing religious communities as fast as they can, we need to say again that the church's gospel infrastructure begins with the sanctuary, physical and figurative, a community that is in Christ. Thus, it is a safe, place, a safe place, even, no, especially for those who think, who, who, don't, who think they don't belong anywhere without any shade for their nests. A shelter for persons distressed of conscience, Roger Williams called Providence, Rhode Island, and America's first Baptist church in 1638. I've been coming here a long time, off and on, such as it is. And this is about as strong a shelter for persons distressed of conscience as I've ever known. Dorothy Day did that, along with Peter Maurin when they founded the Catholic Worker Movement in 1933, the heart of the Depression. Day wrote in her wonderful memoir, The Long Loneliness, we felt a respect for the poor and the destitute as those nearest to God and those chosen by Christ for his compassion. Christ had set us an example and the poor and destitute were the ones we wished to reach. The poor were the ones who had jobs of a sort, organized or unorganized, and those who were unemployed or on work relief 
projects. The Catholic worker movement began out of nothing but the calling of Day and Morin. We'd call them repairers of the breach, restorers literally of the streets. Like the mustard seed, it became one of the great Christian social movements with global implications. In 2005, on a service project in Vietnam with Wake Forest University students, I attended a dinner given by the Vietnamese YMCA. And I sat next to the president of that YMCA, a Catholic priest who overwhelmed me when he said he ran a Catholic worker house in Ho Chi Minh City. To this day, Vietnamese families take shelter in its shade. So from Ho Chi Minh City to Charlotte, the calling and the promise remain. If you offer your food to the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the afflicted. Then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. So let's take up those repairs, large and small. Right now, we could all use a little noonday. Amen. Amen.